it's a good movie. Has everyone seen it? Okay, that, that's good because I, I got to give you a warning. In some of these movies, there's going to be spoilers and stuff. And so if you haven't seen it yet, well, you know, you can still enjoy them and everything. And, and I love this this time of year. I, I love these movies and, 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 and all it is because I just think everything has a message in it. And, and people use creative ways. And so Coco, Coco was one of my favorite movies this past year. Um, I love it. It's a, it's a great, great story. Um, and we're going to get into it again, so there will be some spoilers and everything. But I think it has a great message um, for, this, for us this morning and stuff. But that message, more than the movie, more than anything you'll see, comes out of these words. Um, these are the most important words that will be spoken um, all the time. This is the only authority I have ever to speak or for us to be a church. And so out of respect for those words, I'm going to ask you if you'll turn to Psalm 139. And if you'll stand with me. As we read God's word and we dive in this morning to see what God has for us. In Psalm 139, starting at verse 13, David writes this, he says, For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. Will you pray with me? God, I just thank you this morning. God, I thank you for the opportunity to be back home um, with my family here. God, and just an opportunity just to speak and to open your word and to share. Um, God, what you have placed on my heart. Father, but these need to be your words, not mine. God, this isn't about a movie. This isn't about some catchy story or any of that, God. It is about your word and what you want to do in our lives this morning. So, God, I just, I just ask and I pray, I beg, God, that you would hide me. God, that you would speak to each of us, God, that you would give us ears to hear, give us hearts to respond, God, and that we'd be different. God, that you would meet us right where we're at this morning and move us from there. God, may revival begin this morning in my heart and in the hearts of everyone here, God. May, God, may you do a work that only you can get credit for. So, Father, we give you this time. We ask you to speak and move, have your way, and may you get the glory. It's in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So I said, I, I really like this movie. Um, um, if you haven't seen it, I, I see it's, it's a really good movie, but what the whole premise of the story, again, spoiler alert, but the whole premise of the story is that you have this young man, this, this young boy, Coco, um, and his family had a heritage of kind of music for a while, but then something happened, and, and you got to watch the movie to find out. But all of a sudden, they became shoemakers. They, they didn't want to do anything else. But inside Coco's heart, he's like, no, I need to make music. I need to make music. And, and so the entire movie is this journey that he goes through to become who he thinks he was supposed to be, who, who he believes and what he was made to do to go out and, and, and just to, to do more than just shoemaking. He knew he was meant more for just that life. 
that there was something inside of him that just drove him and gave him passion that he just had to be a part of. And this morning, that's really what I want us to talk about. I want us to talk about this idea that I believe God has put something in us that makes us want, that there's something more. And unfortunately, I think for so many of us and so many people that are in churches today all over this world and everywhere, that we have settled for less. We have settled for just, this is it. Hey, you know, have you ever felt that? Have you ever thought that? Well, this is as good as it's going to get, so you know, we'll just deal. See, see I, I don't think that's the way we're supposed to live. I, I, I think that God's called us to stop settling. In fact, years ago, almost three years now, in August we'll be three years old when we started this church, the idea that's still just resonating in my heart is this idea that God wants more for us and God wants more from us. And we don't have to settle for mediocrity. We don't have to settle for just um, going through the motions. In fact, I'm, I'm reading a great book um, right now about recapturing your dreams and everything and it starts off about the idea of mediocrity and me- mediocrity it, it's not a cultural problem it's not a church problem it's a personal problem i i think for so many of us we have decided that like this is as good as it's going to get and we just settle for that and that's mediocrity in fact mediocrity it comes from the french it means halfway up it, it's the idea that i'm climbing this mountain but i only go halfway and i stop and so this morning, I, I just, I, I want you to know and I want you to hear, if you don't hear anything else, that God has a plan and a purpose for your life that is more than you could ever dream or imagine. And I want you to stop settling for just the status quo, because I believe God's created us for greatness and to do greatness. In fact, I mean, that, that's the whole idea. It is, it's this battle inside of us between our plans and God's purpose. What, what we think we should be doing or what we think we can do and what God's real purpose. In fact, that's what it says in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, 11. God says this to Jeremiah. He says, for I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your welfare, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And I think there are so many people living today in our world and in this community and all over the place that have lost hope. That think like, okay, well, the economy, that's good for some people. It's getting better, but I'm not getting any richer. I'm not doing any more. My job's kind of dead end. Or my family, there are relationship problems. There are things going on. I just don't feel like I have this passion anymore and stuff. And we've just kind of sat there, and God says, no, I have plans for you. I I have a job for you. I I have something that I want you to know and do and be that's going to be more than you are. It's this idea of dreaming again. I think we thought this used to be a country of dreamers. I mean, nothing was impossible for us. And I, and I think we've lost that. And I think we've lost that in our churches where we settle with whatever the newest program is or the newest technology. And there's so much more where that stuff is great, but it's not what drives it. It's each of us deciding like, God, I know you have a plan for me. I know there's something that's bigger than me. And so this morning, that's really, really where I want to sit and say that we're not going to settle anymore. And so there's a couple of things you need to know. There's a couple of things right off the bat that I just I just want you to know. I want you to hear. And the very first one is that you and I are made on purpose. 
Anybody ever been called, don't answer this, anyone ever been called a mistake or an accident? It's not true. It's not true. Look, look at Psalm 139. Look at verse 13 and 14 again. It says, for it was you, God, who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I am remarkably and wonderfully made. Other versions say, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. Listen, if you, you for an instant think that you're an accident, that is a lie from the deepest pit of hell. Because you're not. Says God knit you together. Have you ever watched anybody knit? <laughs> Have you ever watched? We lived in Italy for a while, and we went up to like in, in Italy when, when people got really, really old. They put them in these nice homes, and the families could come and visit them and stuff. I think it's a great idea, but I'm kidding, my <laughs> mother-in-law. But. But we went and would go visit, and, and it was especially for people that didn't have family at all. In Italy, actually, if you had family, you stayed with family and everything. But if you didn't have family, they had places. And so it was kind of like this old lady's home where, like, people come. And we would take our students from the base we work on, and we'd just go up and visit and hang out. And these ladies loved to knit. And I thought, like, I just don't want to wear anything that's knit like that. All I can think of is, like, doilies and stuff like what but i watched these ladies knit and just each little like hook and turn and everything and just out this beautiful thing that came together do you understand that god knit you together you are exactly who you should be don't listen to the media don't watch those commercials that say you have to weigh this much or look this way you have to have this job you have to that because none of that stuff is true none of that stuff is where you get your worth you have worth because you were created by god and you're not an accident and before any of us can ever realize our purpose and, and this thing that's bigger, we need to understand that there's a God that literally put us together exactly how we're supposed to be to do what we're supposed to do. You are made on purpose. Please, please hear that. But not only that, not only are you made on purpose, that you're known fully. Look at verse 15. He says, my bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. I, I, I love this idea that God already knows every single thing about you. For some of us, that's scary. <laughs> you know, have you ever prayed that prayers, you know, pray the prayers where you're like, God, well, I've been, you know, I don't think you know this, but I've been feeling this way. <laughs> God is never taken by surprise by any of us. God is never taken by surprise by anything that happens. He is sovereign. He is over everything. He already knows everything. So why not tell him anyway? I don't understand that. I struggle with that. It's like, well, I want to confess, but God, I don't want to talk about these things. And every time God's like, I already know. Just say it. <laughs> we are known fully. Do you understand that there's no one in this universe that knows you better than God? He knows everything about you. That's, that's why I love, I love the idea of the gospel. Is the idea is that there is nothing I can do to make God love me less. Or there's nothing I can do to make God love me more. And there's nothing I've ever done to make God love me less. I'm already fully, completely loved and known by God. He knows every little thing. He knows those little quirks you've got. He knows that little twitch you get when 
when, when your wife is like, I'm going shopping, and you're like, oh, no. <laughs> all these looks just came, yeah. God knows all of that. He knows the good. He knows the bad, and there's nothing hidden from him. There's no point to hide. God is the worst person in the world, in the universe, to play hide and seek, because as soon as we hide, he's like, found you. <laughs> Great theologians used to call him the hound of heaven. That he comes and he finds you. There's no place. In fact, there's this whole passage in the beginning of Psalm 139 where he says, listen, if I, go, if I go to the bottom of the sea or if I go into this cave or if I go to the distant galaxy, where can I go where you're not, God? He already knows us completely and fully good and bad and there's nothing hidden. So because of that, I challenge you to pray a dangerous prayer. Psalm 139.1, he says, Lord, you have searched me and know me. I challenge you to pray, God, search my heart, search my life. That's what David prayed. God, if there's anything in me that is not of you, then show it and get rid of it. He already knows you. He knows you better than your mama. He knows you better than your daddy. He knows you better than your wife. He, he knows you. And the good news this morning, he loves you still. Listen, there are days where I'm overwhelmed by that thought. That he knows everything about me. And he loves me anyway. Because I know me. And I don't like me all. By the way, that's, God not only loves you, he actually likes you too. You know the, you know the old saying, it's like, I'm, I have to, God says I have to love you, but I don't have to like you. <laughs> God loves you and he actually likes you too. There were nothing, there's nothing in the universe that makes God happier than hanging out with his kids. He likes us and he knows us. And when we understand that I'm made on purpose, when I know, when I'm known fully, who better to trust with my future? Who better to ask, God, what should I be doing? What should I be saying? Where should I be going? Where can I get the most fulfillment? Who better to ask than the one that knows you the best? See, I, I believe all my heart that we are called to live on purpose. And, and, and I'm going to kind of fly through these, but man, God just laid them. When we were on vacation, I was just, I, be, I was praying, I was fishing, I was just hanging out. And a lot of it, I was just breathing. And it was so nice to sit on this little back porch and watch this like stream go by and fish laugh at me saying, you'll never catch me. <laughs> I said, but I'll buy you in Publix. <laughs> but I just started thinking about the journey we've been on. And, and I've been on with this church and everything. And, and I got to tell you, this last year, man, it, it's, it's been hard at times. It's been really hard. I know, so I know some of your struggles. You guys know some of my struggles and stuff and just what the enemy's doing and, and everything. And it's like everything is against us and, and, and all that stuff. And I was like, God, just w w what do we need to do? And, and just over and over, God's just like, I need you back on purpose. 
Why, why did you start in first? And, and so I'm going to run through these, but I believe there are specific purposes for our life. And once we realize those, then we can figure out even more of what God's trying to do, that we don't settle anymore, that we start doing things that are extraordinary and incredible. And so the very first purpose that we have as a people is, man, we are called to worship. Do you, do you understand that? Do you understand what that word means, worship? It's not singing songs. I, I used to tell my students all the time, like we'd have Wednesday night and have the band rocking and everything. And you'd have a, like a bunch of students. and They're all up there. They're waving their hands. And the middle school girls are like crying because that looks cool. And, and they're like, I just love Jesus and everything. And I just got up one night and I said, listen, I can train a bunch of monkeys to raise their hands and sing songs. All I got to do is hang bananas from it. And it'll look like the greatest worship service ever. See, because worship's not about singing. Worship is about the worship of God in your life. How much is God worth to you? Do you remember that day when everything changed? Do you remember that time where God was just so real that all you could do was just fall down and just say, man, God, you are God, I am not. That's every day. That's your job that you do out there. Your career is worship. So I, that's why Paul always says, whatever you do, do it with all your heart for God's glory, for Jesus' glory, not your own. It's not just showing up here on a Sunday morning or some Bible study and singing some songs, man. It is every day. It is, it is how you treat your neighbors. It is how you do everything and, and how you act, how you respond. It is every part of it. We need to be living worship or we will never worship truly in here. I think that's why Jesus was saying there's a time coming when people worship in spirit and in truth, which means all the time that I worship. Listen, we live in a world of worshipers. Every person on this planet worships something. I love it when people say, I'm an atheist. I don't worship anything. I'm like, yes, you do. How much time do you spend looking in the mirror? How much time do you spend at your job? How much, find, how much time do you do this? All, all this, I'm like, well, then you're worshiping that because we are created to worship naturally. We already look for things to put, invest in and put our poor lives in. We worship. Why not worship the one thing that never changes, the one thing that is always faithful, the one thing that is always good, that is always right, and that is God and God alone is the only one worthy of our worship. Amen. Not your job, not your family, not your vacation, none of that stuff. There's only one thing. That's, that's why Jesus said when they asked, what's the most important commandment? He said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with everything that you are, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, with everything I've got, every facet of my life. I love God with all that I have. I love him in my subconscious, in the way I think. I love him in the way I act. I love him in the way I speak. I love him because that is worship. And you and I were created for worship. And I can tell you right now, you can do it now. But there's a day where everyone will do it. My Bible says that one day every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Right now, you get a choice. On that day, the knees buckle. There is no choice. You and I are created to worship. And so that's, if we want to live on purpose, we need to understand that we worship everywhere, all the time, in whatever we do. 
But not only that, God, God gave us another purpose in our life. And living on purpose is this, this idea of fellowship. New Testament calls it koinonia. This idea of sharing life with one another, of, of getting together and being a part. This is why God created the church. By the way, God has always done his work through a community. Even when he called an individual to lead, it was to lead a community. If you look at Abraham, I'll make a great nation out of you. If you look at Moses, to lead the Israelites. If you look at David, to lead his people. If you look at Jesus, he called disciples, and then he created the church and everything. It is always in the context of community because you and I are created to be in community. <coughs> I was having a conversation the other night with one of the guys at Universal, one of the security officers. He found out I was a pastor. He's like, I got a question for you. Besides food and water, what are the only things you can't live without? I said, well, you need to breathe. <laughs> Air is good. You need shelter. And I think more than anything, you need a community of people. He's like, what? I can be alone. I said, yeah, but you'll never be happy. See, because we are made to connect with one another. That's what I love about the church. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your culture. It doesn't matter your bank account. We all stand on the same ground. We all need a Savior, and that's Jesus. And we get to come together, and so we are called to enjoy and to be a part of that. In fact, in, fact, in Psalm um, 133, 1, it says, How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. It doesn't say sisters, so... Apparently, there were problems with wives back then, too. So I'm going to get in so much trouble today. <laughs> That's what you, he's, he's like, I want to say it. But this idea of living in harmony, that doesn't mean we always agree. That doesn't mean we always maybe go in the same direction, but it means that we say we're part of something bigger. We're, we're part of a family. We're sharing our lives with one another. I love that Paul says that. He says, listen, we loved you so much. We shared not only the gospel. Paul, who planted more churches and did more and wrote most of the New Testament, said not only the gospel, but we shared our very lives. You, you want to stop settling and feel like you're doing something more and bigger? You got to worship and then you got to be connected to other people. But not only that, not only the fellowship, but there's also this idea of discipleship. And I, I think we have totally misconstrued this word. We, we kind of turn, I think we, our, our problem in our culture today and most of our churches is we've made evangelism an event we do and discipleship a class that we do. Discipleship is a Bible study. There's no music. You know, if, if there's music, it's worship. If there's no music and you're sitting around tables and you're reading Habakkuk, then it's discipleship. <laughs> That's not discipleship. Discipleship is becoming, being a disciple of the rabbi and becoming more like the rabbi. In fact, that's what the culture, that was the goal. 
when a rabbi came in the first century and he said, hey, I want you to come follow me, the goal of the disciple of that rabbi was to look just like the rabbi. You and I are called to look just like our rabbi, Jesus, to be conformed to that image. In fact, that's what that's what Paul writes in Romans 8. He says, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of a son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. You and I, God's goal for us is very simple. We are to look just like Jesus. By the way, the verse before this is the one we love all the time. Romans 8, 28, for all things work to the good of those who love him and called according to his purpose. We're like, oh, that means I get a house and a car. <laughs> I get a good job. No, no, no. We have to add 29 for the good is that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the goal. You and I are called to look like Jesus, which means you have to open your Bibles and read it. You can't just listen to the pastor. You have to get out and share the gospel because it's not just the pastor's job. You've got to get out and serve and give yourself away and find out more and more about who this God is and what he means in your life and how he speaks to you. I love it. This coming year, there's a couple of things that are on my heart that I really want us to do. One is we are going to go much more in depth in the fall over these purposes. In fact, there's a great series called 40 Days of Purpose that I, most of us probably is like, oh, I've been through that before. We're going to do it again. But there's also another great study that we're going to do on Sunday nights called from Henry Blackaby called Experiencing God. How do I hear God? How do I recognize God's voice in my life? How do I get alongside him and do what he's already doing and be a part of that and grow in that? Because you and I, if listen, if we are a church where people come, sing, they go, and nothing changes, we can't be called a church. But if we are a people growing more and more like Jesus every year, God gets the glory and the world changes. See, because we're called to be the disciples of our rabbi, which means we've got to look just like him. And can I tell you, God promises he's going to finish that in you. Some days for me, I'm kicking and screaming. You know, there's a great skit by the skit guys and stuff called God Chisel. Where he's chipping away at that stuff off of you to mold you into that image. And there are some days where I'm like, oh, that tickles. And there are some days like, oh, God, that one hurt. <laughs> but God promises to finish what he began in us. You and I will look like Jesus. Why not go with it instead of fight it? So, yes, there's worship and there's fellowship and and there's discipleship, but it keeps going on. There's more purpose here. There's this idea of ministry. There's this idea that you and I have a job to that God has gifted you and talented you and gave you abilities and passions that someone else doesn't have. There are things that can be done that need to be done in this church that I can't do. I'm horrible at them. Ask my elders. I'm the one that's always saying, like, hey, we need to meet every month. And I'm the one that never calls them and says, hey, are we going to meet this month? I'm organizationally challenged. That's why I have this beautiful wife here that looks there and says, honey, put your pants on. <laughs> you can't go out like that. Everyone says, thank you, Sherry. I know. 
I, I just want to tell you, this, I, I, I worked late last night. I had a grave shift and everything like that. And so I worked late, and so I was like, hun, just pick out me something to wear and everything. And so she's like, I want you to wear that striped shirt, your striped polo. I'm like, no, I don't want to wear that. I put on a different shirt. You know what happened? I got here, I poured coffee, and it spilled all over me. Guess what shirt I'm wearing? <laughs> the one she chose. I don't know why I fight it. I am organization challenged. I need people to come alongside and say, man, I can do this and stuff. But we each have a job. There's so many things. That's, that's part of our church covenant. This idea that no one just sits here. Everyone has something to do. Everyone has a purpose and a job. And, and when we find that, man, God, we start being fulfilled and we get excited and we get passionate. I love 1 Peter 4.10. It says, based on the gift each one has received, use it to serve others. As good managers of the varied grace of God, God has given you something to use. Take it off the shelf and start using it. You want to stop settling? You want to experience God in a full way and experience life in a full way? Then do what you're supposed to do. You know, my dad used to always tell me, he's like, Dad, I, I get to preach for a living and stuff. I, he's like, son, if you can do what you love to do and actually maybe like buy some food now and then, you are more blessed than 90% of the people on this planet. Listen, I, I believe all my heart that all of us, we have jobs, we have things we need to do, and God calls us to be accountable to that. But I also believe that God is sovereign, and he has you where you're at because there's gifts and there's tools that you can have to bless your, your bosses and your coworkers, to bless this community and bless this church. I don't always understand why God, I, last night I was sitting there in a garage, not a soul to be seen, watching equipment that nobody's coming near, when all they had to do was pay for a fence. It would be cheaper than paying for somebody, and I sat in a chair all night and said, God, what am I doing here? I don't understand. And God's like, that's okay, I do. Listen, we serve a God that's bigger than us. He is, he, his thoughts are higher Everything is bigger than us. You're not always going to understand. All we have to do is go and do. And so, yes, there, there's, there's, there's worship and there's fellowship and there's discipleship and there's ministry. But then finally, finally, there's this idea of mission. We are created to be on mission. God has given us a mission. We've been talking about it for months in Acts, and we're going to continue to talk about it, and we're always going to talk about it, that God has given you and I a mission. There is ministry to happen right here in the church, but there is a mission field out there. And can I tell you something? I, I remember one of my professors always said, he says, there's only two people on this planet, two types of people. There are missionaries and there are mission fields. There are people that know God and don't know God. That's it. That's the two type of people, and as missionaries, we are called to go to those mission fields, and that mission field is wherever you're at right now. That's why Jesus said, in your Jerusalem, your Judea, your Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. What are we doing here in our Jerusalem? What is, who are the people that God has placed you in line with, that you have crossed paths with, that you're supposed to be sharing this great news? And if you're sitting there going like, I don't know how to share the gospel. Can I tell you something? Do you know what Jesus did for you? 
Do you know how you felt? Do you know how your life has changed because of what Jesus has done for you? Then just tell somebody. <laughs> You're not going to save anybody. Listen, take the pressure off. There's, I've told this story over and over again about the little middle school boy that was like, hey, you're sharing the gospel at this meeting. He's like, if I do, they're going to hell. I'm going to ruin it. I'm like, no, it's good. And then he did it, and I was like, ooh, he may have been right. <laughs> that was horrible. <laughs> that was terrible. And that day, three kids in the back, when I asked, has anybody got a question? Do I need to explain any of this? Three kids in the back raised their hands. He says, yeah, I just met Jesus. What do I do? Listen, the gospel works. You don't have to add anything to it. You don't have to do anything to it. It just works. Just tell people what God has done for you and let God do the rest. We are called to be on mission as a church. If we're not reaching this community, then why do we dare call ourselves a church? If we're not reaching, how do we reach the rest of this state, this country, this world? Then how dare us call ourselves a church? Because we are called to be on mission. In fact, that is the great commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. That is the great commission, not the great suggestion. We are called to be on mission. You want to be part of something big? You want to be part of something eternal? Tell the gospel. In a couple of weeks, we're going to show the movie I Can Only Imagine. I've just been thinking about that song. I can only imagine what it's going to be like to walk through heaven and for someone to walk up and say, hey, thank you for checking in on Facebook because I got water and I heard the gospel because you went to church one Sunday. Hey, thank you for leading your family and praying around a meal at, at Cracker Barrel. Because I saw that and it did something to me and it drew me to God. Thank you for taking the time to share what God's doing to you. Thank you for inviting me to a church. I know I didn't go to yours, but it made me start thinking that I went to and I went to another church. Thank you for doing all this. Thank you. You have no idea what God is going to do with the little that we have. So often we look and says, God, I have so little to give. Like a couple of fish and a couple of loaves. <laughs> Imagine that day. Or this is all we have to give. He's like, oh, cool. Watch this. 10,000 people eat. <laughs> See, it's not up to us. We just have to be on mission. We just have to be obedient. We just have to go. See, because there's, there's a powerful plan for your life. I'm telling you this. I want you to hear this. I want us to stop settling for just going through the motions. I want us to stop settling for that. There is a powerful, powerful plan. Go back to Psalm 139. Look at verse 16. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. Do you understand that in eternity past that God looked today and saw that you were going to be here? That God already has seen your Monday. And he has a plan 
for you. He has a place he, need, he wants you to be. He has an experience or a conversation he wants you to have. God planned for you, planned for me, eternity plan, and it's a powerful plan. You're no accident where you live. It's no accident what job you have. It's no accident where you go to school. It's no accident who your neighbors are. It's no accident because in God's plan, in this beautiful picture, God puts it all together. He says, I'm going to place you right here, and you're going to be a light right there in that neighborhood and in that job and in that community. He has a perfect plan for you. That's why I believe so much when Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then all these things will be added to you. Seek God first and say, God, I'm here for a reason. I'm here to do something for some reason. You've got me here. Just show me so I can be obedient and I can do it. And I'll be faithful to it. There's a powerful, powerful plan. God has prepared it for you. In fact, that's Ephesians 2.10. For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. God has already got steps laid out for you. All you've got to do is step. All you got to do is walk it. Be faithful. Be obedient. I love another version that says, for we are his masterpiece. When it says, for we are his creation, that, that word in Greek is poema. It's where we get the word poem. You are God's sonnet to the world. You are God's masterpiece so that others can see Jesus. And it's all mapped out for you. All we have to do is take a step. And I know there are times when you're like not sure of the step. And you're wondering, I don't know what's happening. Sherry and I love to hike. I, I, I meant to put a picture up there. We went on a hike. Everyone went home. And on the last day of vacation, everyone's gone like, we're going on a hike. We're going in the Smoky Mountains, I said. But I don't want to hike in. I don't want to hike out and back and say, let's do a loop. Let's just do this loop. And so we did. And we started on the wrong trail. And it was a horse trail with horse mud and other stuff. And then we got to the, the real trail, and we're like, oh, here it is. And we found it, and we crossed this little log bridge. It's like one of the longest log bridges, one little log and a little pole here as you're walking through. I'm a heavy guy, so every step was like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to die. And then we got on a trail, and I read the guy. He says, hey, listen, it says it's a mile uphill, and then it's all downhill. We can do a mile uphill. Dear Lord. I didn't know uphill meant this. <laughs> we kept walking. We kept going. And we'd see a curve, and we're like, man, we see the tops of the trees. We're finally there. And we go around the curve, and there's another one. <laughs> it took us four hours to go a mile. <laughs> it took us two hours to get back to where we're going. But it took four hours. And every curve, we're just like, Lord, just kill us up here. <laughs> just, we're done. In fact, we took a picture. We finally on this level spot, and there's this great, I'll, I'll put it on Facebook, there's this great selfie of us like, yeah! And we're like, this is good. And we run out of curve, and we're like, oh. And I cussed, sorry. <laughs> I was like, really? Oh, I know it feels like that. But I tell you, when we crested, and we started going downhill, and we saw all that God made, that climb was so worth it. At the end of seven miles, supposed to be a four-mile hike, at the end of seven miles, we said, man, that was worth it. 
God has mapped it out for you. And I know there are days when you're like, I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to pray. And I definitely don't want to talk to anybody. Do it anyway. Suck it up and keep climbing that hill. Because I promise you the downhill is coming. And it will be so worth it when it's all done. See, because the greatest thing at the end of that hike in your life, the greatest thing that you and I can ever hear is Jesus Christ standing there saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. I love it. Steve Hawthorne says this, and I'm, I'm going to close with this. He says, you can do something other than working with God and his purpose, but it will always be something lesser. And you couldn't come up with something better. Let me read that again. You can do something other than working with God and his purpose. But it will always be something lesser. And you couldn't come up with something better. Church, it's time to start hiking. It's time to start living out these purposes. It's time to just go and trust God for the rest of it. Because there's nothing better than being exactly where God wants you and where he has you doing what you're supposed to be doing then you'll stop settling can I tell you something the more you grow the more you're obedient the more you become Christ the more you want to be obedient the more you want to share the gospel the more you want to you get hungry for it church I'm hungry for it I'm hungry to see Christ move in this community in our church I'm, I'm not satisfied until everyone is heard. How about you? Stop settling and sing. Don't be a shoemaker. Sing the song God has put in your heart. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you do have a plan and a purpose.